This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that doesn't mind the occasional acronym YOLO, FOMO, and OMG. It's Motley Fool Money. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me is Anirvan Mahanti. G'day, Doc. Good day, Captain. That is possibly my very worst open, but stay with us, fools, because we're going to plough through some really great content. As I mentioned last week, if this is your first time listening, firstly, thank you. We appreciate it. Um, go back and have a listen to some of, our, some of our other podcasts, if you will. But if you were here last week, you will know that right now I'm nearing the end of my eight-day trek on the Kokoda Track through the PNG jungle. Hopefully... Hopefully I'm not medivac somewhere or laying beside the track. Uh, hopefully it's all going very, very well and I'm having a wonderful time. But we didn't want to leave you without a podcast this week. And so what we thought we'd do is some of our favorite, favorite stuff. We're going to dip into some of the concepts and ideas we think you investors need to know. All investors, we need to know as well and remind ourselves. And as I like to say, as most people like to say, the best way to teach, sorry, the best way to learn is to teach. So we're going to be teaching ourselves as well as hopefully teaching you a few things. And we might just dip into the full mailbag if we've got a little bit of time. Doc, mm. I'm going to start with one of your very, very favorites. This one comes from our Motley Fool co-founder and co-chairman, David Gardner, our chief rule breaker, mm-hmm. self-assigned, but certainly a title that he enjoys and we certainly like reminding him of. The old saw is that as investing, you should be buying low and selling high. Mm-hmm. You're going to try and convince me mm. That buying for a low price and selling for a high price is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Is that really what you're going to do? Yeah. <sighs> All right. You've mentioned this before. I, I'm, this is theatrical pausing, of course, because I do know exactly what you're going to say, and I agree with it, but we will, we will, keep, the, we will keep the facade, the, the theater of the mind going. Mm. If it's not buy low, sell high, mm-hmm. what is it? <laughs> so, one of the common things people do is they, you know, the people look at their portfolio. Yes. I've done you, that before. You know, everybody, That's you common. Know, yes. and, and you see winners and losers. You yes. know, ones that have made money, ones that are not making money. The first, you know, instinct, instinctively, we feel that we should, you know, sell the winners. Because well, you made some money, right? You made money. You feel good about you it. Risk you that know, money. And that's lovely. You, know, you made some money. You can, you know, go buy your jeans and go buy your iPhones <laughs> and do all this good stuff. Buy your iPads, iPad Pros, whatever you want to do. Oh, dear. Uh, Teslas, etc. Uh, all, all, all the good things. Right? So I'm pretty you, sure they're paying you for this stuff. But anyway, keep uh, going. Uh, well, I have shares. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that, you know, that's what, what you... And you keep... And in fact, you hold on to ones that have not made you money. Right. Because, you know, if you sell them, it's like declaring that you lost. I want to sell it. Loser, you got to wait till you make money. Then you exactly. Sell it. You, you, you want to get even. You don't want to sell any. Right? You don't want to make losses, mate. You want, you want to lock in the, the wins, not the losses. Exactly. Now, this, this is, I, I'd call it, this is the, uh, the buy low, sell high. is probably the worst advice that, <laughs> that exists. Because it won't. Well, to be fair, it's better than buy low, sell lower. Okay. It's better than that. Okay, maybe it's better than All that. Right. So second worst. Can we second, agree on that? Second worst. Right. Let's agree right. on the second worst. But it's like, you know, this is basically the straight ticket <laughs> to not have multi-baggers. Yep. Why? Because, well, if something is going to 10-bag, the path to a 10-bagger is mm. through a double, through a triple, through a quadruple, through a, you know, quintuple and so on, right? right. So if you do not let things go up over time... Mm. You're not going to get the ten bagger. Sure, but what if it goes up and then falls again? I'm better locking a, lo- a win than, than suffer a loss, aren't I? Oh, well, if you want to, but you know things. You know sometimes they don't go up in a straight line; they go up 
a little bit, then down, and then they go up like Amazon did. So those people who locked it, they only made so much. Mm-hmm. Those people who didn't lock it, they are sitting on you know ginormous amounts of you know three hundred x or four hundred x or whatever the amount was. That, that qualifies as ginormous. That qualifies. I'm pretty, as sure, I'm yeah. pretty sure that's so, right. So, so I mean, what what David would say is buy high, yes, and buy higher. <laughs> and this is very counterintuitive. There's, there's logic to this. Tell me there's, the story. There's a lot of logic to this. So. You know, when share prices go up, mm-hmm. right? You know, you'd 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 hear people saying, "Oh, this is overvalued, and this is you know, this has gone up too much, and this is this is this is crazy." The, you know, there's another way to think about that. Mm-hmm. The another way to think about that is a bunch of people are calling it overvalued. Yep. And it has gone up because another bunch of people have bid it up. Yes. Right. And therefore, somebody must be seeing something happening here. And if the shares have gone up. And if the results that you've seen in the past reflect that the company is making steady progress, right. this is a good sign. And that's the key, right? It's the combination of both. We it's, would never, ever say yeah, you should so, buy anything just because of whatever the share price is doing, up or down, by the way. Yeah, not but momentum. If, but if the shares are doing well and the company's doing well, then there's something kind of cool going on there. Exactly. Winners keep on winning. There you go. Right. And if, if a company is you know, just starting out, like think about 2008, 2009, yes. I, I, Apple just released the iPhone. I remember that. That was you painful. Know, it was you know, such a painful event for you. No, no. I mean, I mean, I mean on the market, not, <laughs> well, not the Apple iPhone. Okay. I had an iPhone okay. for a short oh, period of time. Man, you, you were on the good side. And well, then, for a little then, bit. Then you, then you went dark. That, that's, that's different. But, but think about this. You know, you saw the iPhone came out. Yep. People started, you know, making, you know, you know, making lines yes. outside the Apple stores to buy these things. Right? Those, that's Still understand that, but anyway, that's a great sign. Right. Consumers love it. Yep, consumers want it. Every year, millions of them are being Man, sold. When you can create that much fandom, when you create that much exactly. rabid, rabid excitement about a phone, I, I love my gadgets. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but I'm never ever going to line up for one. Yep. When you can create as a company that sort of excitement, exactly, something's going on. Something is going on, and that's the time to pay attention, right? right. So, and at that point, the Apple shares might have gone up. You know, at that point. With reference to you know, yep. the past, yep. maybe two or three or four X, right? And you could say, oh, it's very high. So a whole lot of people said, I'm going to lock that in. I've, I've exactly. put in. I put a couple of thousand in. I've made 5,000 of profits. I'm going to lock that in because I don't exactly. want to lose those five grand. Yeah. They have lost 16 X if they had held on from 2008 Ooh, till now. Okay. That's, that's powerful. That's, so, so, I mean, you know, sometimes you just need to see the success of the business. <laughs> just sit tight. You yep. know, sitting tight is very hard. <laughs> so, so what, when we say buy high, buy high, it means, you know, the company is making progress. You mm-hmm. can buy more. <laughs> right, because it's, it's, it's demonstrating its success. It's demonstrating success. Right. And, and typically, that's what I like to do is, you know, if a company is doing well and the share price has gone up, gives me more confidence. I buy some more mm-hmm. at, at that time. Uh, you know, you could do, you know, some sort of dollar cost averaging. So you're buying less oh, shares, uh, you know, uh, less shares over time. Yep. But, uh, you know, and, and if the shares fall, you could buy more shares over time. Of the, or, or, you know, and so, yeah, I, I really think that, you know, Selling your winners is a bad idea. You pay tax, you pay mm. brokerages, mm. and all sorts of things. Uh, you know, if you want to sell something, sell your losers. Maybe as long as you don't believe in those businesses, then you know that's probably the one you want to sell, not the winners. So yeah, this is bad advice. I would, I, would, I completely agree with you. I actually would take only slight exception to David's advice in the sense for, for those who want to think purely rationally about this. And I'm not saying David's not being rational, by the way. The sense that you would buy higher. I, I would argue is actually irrelevant in the sense we talked about anchoring last week and I would I would come back to that. Don't buy just because it's higher, mm. but if we don't sell just because it's higher and, and again, don't don't buy so just because it's lower, right? The question is, okay, if you if you bought shares of company X for a dollar three years ago and that company's now 10 times more profitable today, 
and, and you still believe in its future, then of course the share price is going to be higher. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of buying higher is basically saying don't not buy because it's higher. Mm-hmm. In other words, don't don't succumb to that natural human fear of not doing it. So I don't think you should buy because it's higher. I don't think you should buy because it's lower. I don't think you should buy with any reference at all personally to mm-hmm. any any past share price. Uh, so if you're being purely rational, purely homo econ- economicus, as they say, um, purely rational man or rational person, you would say, I'm going to buy because it's worth buying at today's price. Mm-hmm. I think David is saying, don't feel like you should avoid it because the price is up. Because a lot of us do, right? Oh, I wish I'd bought yep. it a year ago. The price was... I said this to you about Apple. And you, I, I said, I should have bought Apple when you told me to 113 bucks, And you said to me, it's not too late. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly... And again, as I said, we... we, we you know, you're never going to get rid of these psychological biases. The best you can do is, is recognize them and, yep. and act to, to avoid them or get around them. So, you know, yes, I think I think you're dead right. Buy high, buy higher because the business continues to do well. We mentioned corporate travel last week, and I will say each of our recommendations, despite the fall of last week, um, are still well and truly up in the green. And each of our second and third recommendation we made for our members of, of uh, Motley Fool Share Advisor were at higher prices. We've done exactly that. The business continued to do well. We continued to like it. We continued to think it was good value. And so we recommended people buy it at once, say, two forty and about 6 and then about 12 or give or take. Uh, it would have been very easy at $12, say, share price already up four or five-fold. Surely it can't go any higher. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I'm in the middle of the jungle, so I don't know what the price is right now. But at the time of recording, it was still over $22. Uh, and so to some degree, that was that was that remained the right thing to do because the future remained bright. And I think that, again, a little local example, Amazon, Apple, plenty of others in the US as well. That's the story we're looking for. Value stocks. Market. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, let's go to another one. Mm-hmm. And this is one of my, I, I won't rant about this, but it is one of my favorite, favorite hobby horses. Mm-hmm. And that is the idea of companies beating or missing <laughs> estimates. Now, we, so let, let me let me paint you the picture. Uh, we, we hear the report come through the news or, or an analyst report, or we're talking about it across the table somewhere, and someone says, ah, Woolworths beat estimates by 24 cents a share. Or <laughs> Woolworths you know, missed estimates by 12 cents a share. Mm. And I've got to say, and I know, you're, I know I'm among friends here, Doc, mm. That is the most bizarre, banal, stupid approach to investing that is absolutely possible to pursue. Now, mm-hmm. I will say there is a rash- there is a reason why it's at least appropriate to consider it. Mm-hmm. But first, what is wrong with saying Woolworths beat or missed estimates? <laughs> so, so the first thing that's wrong with that is that basically we are saying that what we care about mm-hmm. is the estimate, the, the consensus, which is typically the average of the median yes. of a bunch of analysts and what they think earnings or revenue should be. Right. Right. Which and is, more importantly, Woolworths somehow should because it's Woolworths that missed those estimates. Yeah. <laughs> Woolworths never, if Woolworths didn't guide for something, yeah. they can, the only thing they can miss is if they guide for something, right? right? Not what other people think they should be doing. So that's, that's part. Now, I get the logic here. The logic here is that the analysts supposedly are supposed to know exactly what the company should do. They're the ones who are modeling the companies. Everybody has a very precise value that they assign to these companies. And well, therefore- everybody. The, the other people. The other people. Those guys are. Th- those guys. We don't yeah. do that. Yeah, those, we don't guys do. yeah. those guys do. Yeah. 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 So when I say everybody, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm not talking about myself. I hear. <laughs> and, 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 you. <laughs> those others. All right. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, and, and I have a bunch of problems with this. Like, you know, mm-hmm. okay, maybe it makes sense for a company like Woolworths because, you know, you can maybe uh, get down to the nuggets and, you know, nuts and bolts. And this is a rather slow moving business. Therefore, you can mm-hmm. you can kind of model it and therefore you can kind of estimate what it should do. And therefore, if it's in that ballpark, it's okay. If it's not, then it's not okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe I get it. 
for many growth businesses, there are so many levers that it's <laughs> if one thing changes a little bit, it can go up. One right. thing changes a little bit, it can go down. Mm-hmm. Just have to realize that, and therefore, you know, if you take this middle point somehow that is miraculously going to capture what the company is going to do that half or that full year is just you know it's just basically ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And 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 then what happens is, uh, and then corporate CEOs will actually fall for this because as as more and more people start following a company, corporate CEOs then feel out. Darn! <laughs> I now need to need to treat these people, keep them happy, because yeah. these guys are going to write notes and set price targets, mm-hmm. and and therefore I somehow need to manage these people. So their job instead of managing company becomes managing the analysts. This right, is like completely right. bizarre. Like I mean, you know, CEO's job is not to manage analysts. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> sure, talk to them, answer their questions, but yeah. come on, you don't have to manage them. But this is what happens, you know. They so the the corporate CEOs then try start giving guidance, which you know tends you know pushes <laughs> them, you know, in these these questions and analyst calls about color is basically you know tell me that input parameter that i should put to my excel model so that you know i can get the answer i want to get mm. so everybody's feeding them answers and and it becomes a big game right in the the, the ceos are then trying to nudge the estimates towards what <laughs> it should they think right, they're going to right, deliver right. and and then the the analyst community realizes oh these guys are you know constantly beating them because maybe you mm-hmm. know they're sandbagging here so we're going to up their estimates and eventually they're going to miss right yep. and the saga continues yep. so it is a bizarre song and dance that i just never understood I mean, why can't you just think about what the business is going to do over a little bit longer periods of time and just focus on the opportunities that lie ahead? Yeah. Not this quarter, not this half, not even this full year. I completely agree. Although I will say, I, you know what? The longer I've been in this game, the less less absolute I am about anything. And I have to say, for what it's worth, I, I do. I will give our, our fund management, our, our traditional analytical brethren, a little bit of, if not credit, at least a little bit of sympathy here because we know that investment cash is super, super flighty, right? So mm. we would say, as investors, we should stick with company X for years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, m- many of our buy recommended share advisor are four, five, six, seven years old. Mm-hmm. And, and we do stick with those companies for years. When you're investing in a fund, or sorry, for most fund managers, their investors tend to hang around for months, mm-hmm. maybe a couple of years if you're lucky. And they look at every quarterly result and say, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And so at some level, there is that sense of, You've got to try and stay, you know, keep the wolf from the door, right? You've got to stay one step ahead of everybody else mm. who says, well, if you don't get this right this quarter, I'm taking my money and going somewhere else. Now, they're the paymasters you have. We're very fortunate at The Motley Fool that our paymasters are our members uh, and, and the Brothers Gardener who all as a group um, believe in long-term investing. And so we've been able to cultivate and, and grow a an approach as, a, as investors that give us that, that extra time frame to invest well over multiple year time frames. And so we, we have a business that supports us. We have members who support us and who say, I get it. We're here for the long term. It may not be always comfortable, uh, but we know what's going on. So we do get a little bit of, it's not a free kick. It's not a free kick at all, but we get a little bit more uh, uh, leeway than, than some of our fund management brethren do who have to try and deliver a 90-day, God help them. Like a, yeah, it's ha- very How do you deliver a 90-day number is beyond me. You just can't know where the market's going. It's It's got to be three parts luck to one part skill over that short a time period. Uh, they may disagree with me, of course, and they have to because that's how they generate their salaries mm. by, by convincing everybody they can do these things regularly. Um, I think that's a really, really uh, difficult thing to support and to substantiate, but I, I feel a little bit sorry for them. So, look, I think you're right, Doc. It is madness to try and think about quarterly or half-yearly numbers and somehow pretend that it matters enough to a long-term investment thesis. Um, uh, the thing is, you know what, even if you were short, if you, even if you said, oh, I don't want to be a long-term investor, I want to be a short-term investor, the reality is it's simply so hard to do you know, that's the other thing. We're not, we're not long-term investors because we say we don't care. We, we can make money in the short term, but we don't want to. We just don't believe it's possible regularly to beat the market over short time periods because you're trying to guess 
where the market's going far, far more than what the companies themselves are doing. Because in the short term, as Ben Graham would say, the father of value investing and Warren Buffett's mentor, um, in the short term, the market is a voting machine, right? You're trying to you're trying to judge the the short term mood of a crowd. So what what are investors going to think in in three weeks' time? Fuck it if I know. But over the long term, and while we are long-term investors, over the long term, the value of the business will have much more impact on the price uh, rather than just the, the general mood. And that's why we do uh, like to invest long-term. Why the idea of be- companies missing estimates or beating estimates is crazy. Um, I would say for what it's worth, mate, I also, I've said it before, wouldn't have the likes of Woolworths and others giving guidance. I think giving guidance is a complete waste of time. It just it it, it just feeds that cycle mm. of, of, uh, of, of just madness around earning seasons and all that kind of stuff for what it's worth lastly what i will say again though is the share price of a company moves not relative to the results but relative to what the market as a whole expected even mm. if the analyst didn't have a particular expectation when you you know you buy a share hoping that the future will be a certain look a certain way if it isn't that way when you get there mm. you're either going to say wow it's even better which is great or gee it's worse i'm maybe reassessing my my assessment of value so at some level i think I think um, there is a, there is a, a just a, an element of you know I, I like to call res, reports uh, result season you know, estimate season because mm. it's very much a matter of you know did it grow on last year well who really cares mm. it's far more important whether or not it beat or missed estimates which is a real shame and a, I think a bastardization of the capital markets for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple m. Mate, I'm going to go. You mentioned dollar cost averaging, so I'm going to go to our mailbag because we had a question from Nick during the week, or last week actually it was. Mm-hmm. And Nick said, Hello, gents. A quick question for the podcast. Uh, I often hear about the strategy of dollar cost averaging, but how do I do it? This might seem like a silly question. It's not, by the way. Uh, but practically speaking, how much do I need to invest and how often? And for example, if I have 500 bucks to invest each month, Am I picking one quality stock to continually invest in or am I diversifying and averaging the market? Thanks in advance, Nick. This is awesome. This is we don't do this often enough, Doc. I think mm. there's 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 well, we try to. There's the investing theory, mm. and then there's the how the hell do I put that into practice? Right. And this is Nick's question. So Nick gets the concept of dollar cost averaging, which is great. And for those who don't uh, necessarily understand the concept, the idea is that if you're investing money regularly through high and low markets, you're going to effectively average out your buy price across many, many, many months, and in theory, many, many share prices. So the price you're buying for today is less relevant than the average of all the buys you make over the next 5, 10, 15 years, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has a much greater impact. And so that's, you think about the GFC, when the, people say the market hasn't recovered its GFC highs or whatever they say, that's true, but only if the only two points you're comparing are those two points. If you've been buying shares every month, you got to buy, yes, some at the highs, but you got to buy a heap at the lows as well. And so your average price actually came down as, as uh, share prices fell. And so your dollar cost averaging into the market. Doc, that's the explanation of, mm-hmm. the, of the term. Tell me how you go about doing it. Okay. So I'll just use this example and just say what, you know, what I might do in this case. Again, this is all general advice. It you know, is. Um, so <laughs> not, 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 not specific. Again, I don't know Nick's situation. So, um, let, if you if if it is if it is me and and I have five hundred bucks to invest each month, um, you know I'd first look at my brokerage fees. Uh, if my brokerage fees is like ten dollars, what I would be you know inclined to do mm-hmm. is to combine two months. You know you could you know pay ten dollars on top of five hundred, mm-hmm. but I I'd rather pay ten dollars on top of you know or out of a thousand. So mm-hmm. I'd, I'd combine two months. Okay. Uh, so I'd, I'd add money over two months and then I would invest a thousand thousand bucks. Right now. 
there are multiple ways of going about this. Um, if you let's assume that you have a portfolio of companies, then you know you you wouldn't spend the thousand bucks. You wouldn't div- divide the thousand bucks across say ten companies because then you'll only have hundred hundred dollars to invest across ten companies. That's right. too small, yep. right? So what you do is you you could pick one company that you you know want to increase your weighting to or your position size for, mm-hmm. and then you just buy that. Right, and you know, next month, next or next couple of months later, you might buy something else, right? And you're basically dollar cost mm. averaging into different companies. This is not quite exactly theoretically what you are saying, but that's one way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, another, you know, in, in the very simplest instance, if you've got, you know, if you're, if you're just starting out, you could just start by buying an, like an ETF, a market ETF. And yes. if you bought a market ETF, an ETF is an e- ETF is basically a basket of shares that you can buy mm-hmm. uh, in one lot. So somebody mm-hmm. has put together. A basket of shares. They're typically following an index. You could have an index that you know essentially mimics the Australian stock market, or you can have an index that mimics the Nasdaq uh, 100, uh, and so on. So you could then then you're basically buying essentially effectively portions of those businesses mm-hmm. indirectly through this. You know, like it's like buying basically a fund, but on the share market, mm-hmm. right? And if if you're doing that, and if you're investing starting out, and you have small amounts of money, then you can you can you can buy that, and then you can effectively do this every couple of months. You basically just buy the same fund as long as you you know and your fund is giving you diversification yep. because you're holding multiple things together that, that would advice. be that would be my way of starting out you know um so you know across 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 the full we've got a few recommendations we have got the um the total stock market recommendation at, mm-hmm. uh, at one of our newsletters we've got the nasdaq 100 recommendation across a couple of newsletters these things we can buy easily across um, uh, the asx they're all trade on the asx and this you can you can just buy every two months yep. the, the same dollar amount different amount number of shares based on how where the share price is and that probably would be how i would actually do it right uh, just to, to, to that last point you made too is a really important one so if you're putting a thousand dollars per trade whether it's every month couple of months quarter whatever it is um, and the share price is higher you simply get fewer shares or fewer securities if the if the price is lower you get more of them and that exactly again is the concept of dollar cost averaging right you're not buying 500 shares every period and you're getting what you're paying whatever you're paying Putting the same amount of money in a place, so you're actually getting you're buying more shares, you're getting a greater proportional ownership when the share price is lower, and that's again another kind of example of dollar cost averaging. Doc, I'm going to add to your your response with a third idea, mm-hmm. and that is just to kind of extend next time horizon a little bit. So mm-hmm. when we say dollar cost averaging, we don't necessarily mean buying 24 tranches of the same company over 24 months. Mm-hmm. Um, to your point about splitting into 10, we wouldn't suggest that at all. What, uh, so at, at the very extreme. Uh, that would be, frankly, if that was available, that might actually be that might actually be a cool way to do it. If there was a service that offered that, maybe maybe it's worth doing. Um, if you could put you know ten dollars here, fifteen dollars there into mm. diff, you know, twenty different companies and buy a bid every time, that'd make a heap of sense. I'm going to extend the time horizon out five or ten years, and to say that if you think about where your portfolio is going to be in ten years' time, you probably don't want to have bought a different company every month for that ten year period, or you end up with 120 companies, right? <laughs> Um, I need to every two months stock, but I'm just going to keep the math simple. Mm. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe you do 120 companies, but you probably don't. You probably want a portfolio with maybe 15, 20, 30 companies over that 10-year period. But if you've had a chance to buy 120 different, make 120 different transactions, there's different times you can be adding to those individual companies over time as 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 time rolls forward. And so thinking about if that just again, just using very simple math, let's say 30 companies, that means you can buy each on average four times or so. And you won't necessarily do that because they won't be good value at different times or you've changed your mind. But that gives you plenty of opportunities to add to all of the companies in your portfolio at different times. And so part of the dollar cost averaging story isn't so much even on a per company basis. It's just that overall, whenever you're buying, 
If the whole market is down as it is in October, was it was, sorry, it's now the, uh, oh, that's 31st as we record this, so it's still October. Um, market was down about 8% or so for October. When you bought anything at the end of October, you simply bought, on average, at an 8% lower price than you would have if you bought it last month. And so that, again, is dollar cost averaging, not per security, per company, but across your portfolio, when you're buying shares, when shares as a whole tend to be lower, you're getting a better price. When you're buying them at where shares as a whole tend to be higher, you're getting a slightly less attractive price, but you're buying fewer shares in doing it. And again, that's dollar cost averaging in play. So I love Nick's question. I think it's awesome. We would say broadly, buy, invest regularly, invest often. Um, uh, you know, in, uh, So do, do, it, do it regularly is in timeframes and keep doing it. So whether it's six times a year, 12 times a year, mm. four times a year, the very fact of doing it regularly rather than saving up 10 grand over two years mm. and putting it all in the market at one point, that's what we're talking about here. You don't need to be so specific, Nick. I love the questions. Great question, great concept. Um, but just don't feel constrained to do it per company per month. Think broadly about a long-term approach and across your entire portfolio. And then the invest regularly piece, that's the far more important bit than what you're buying mm. when you do. Yeah, I love the invest regularly piece a lot. You know why? Because, you know, if you try to save up, you save up five grand. It's so easy yeah. to look at that five grand and say, oh, let me just spend it on something else. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Do you know what I found as well, mate, for, for what's worth? I have very few times when I have a large amount of cash in my portfolio because I tend to like to be almost zero cash. Mm-hmm. I like to be fully invested. Uh, the ten, times I tend to have a lot of cash are either if I haven't bought anything for a while or I've sold something and drops, drops mm-hmm. a decent amount of cash in my portfolio. In that scenario, the, the higher that dollar value is, the harder I find to actually buy anything at all. Because it feels like it's a bigger impact on my overall portfolio mm. by putting that money to work. If I've got, if I've got those 20% cash, or I've got to try and invest that money, it's like, that's a large amount of money. Where I mm. invest that now really matters in terms of my long-term investment mm. performance. If I've got a, a couple hundred bucks, thousand bucks, and I'm putting that to work, and it's a smaller proportion of my portfolio, it just doesn't have as big a mental impact, as big a psychological impact of putting that to work. I actually find it easier to invest small amounts than large amounts anyway mm. for what it's worth. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, we're going to finish off with one last question. And we got this one. This is this is the immediacy of our podcast, mate. We are responsive, if nothing else. We got a request on Twitter only eight minutes ago during this podcast <laughs> from The Steady Investor. Uh, at Bogle underscore investor, I think the... the uh, uh, that's right, Bogle underscore investor. My wife owns shares in a company... But if she sells them for capital loss and we buy them back in our joint account the same day, is this legally permissible? You know what? I actually don't know the answer. No, so I, I have, I have, I have a view, no idea. Neither of us are tax experts. So, so it, is, it is legally permissible. Absolutely. The question I think you're getting at, City Investor, is what are the tax implications mm. of that? And I think that's, that's one. Now, we're not tax experts. We don't claim to be. My first and very best answer is ask your accountant or find a good accountant mm. and ask them. Um, these, are, these are really important questions that involve large amounts of money and, frankly, involve the, the tax man. And he really, really dislikes it when you do the wrong thing. So the first, the first very specific piece of advice is go, please, and get personal advice. As a general rule, though, a couple of thoughts. The first is the ATO has very, very broad what they call anti-avoidance powers. Um, I think it's Section 5 of the Tax Act, but I could be wrong there. Um, the ATO basically is allowed to bring an action against you and will will choose to if they, if they decide to based on if they believe your actions were specifically undertaken to avoid tax. It's a little bit like the SMSFs, right? The, 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 the decision when you, make it, when you make a decision in the SMSF, it has to be for the sole purpose of your retirement income, your retirement nest egg. In this case, the, the reverse or, or some, some version of it is true with tax. The, if, if the ATO believes and can convince a court you've done something 
with the specific intention of avoiding tax, they can come at you for penalties, recovery of the tax money, interest, and the whole lot. I won't claim to talk for the tax man. What I will say is if someone said to me, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to sell my shares and then buy them back in our joint names over here the same day or even a week or even, even a month later. At some point, if the ATO believes it can make a case that you have done it to specifically minimize or avoid tax, actually minimize is okay, avoid is the problem. If they decide you've done it to avoid tax, they will, if they think it's big enough and worth it, bring an action against you. So I would counsel against that as a general rule. Again, get please seek your own professional advice. But because those anti-avoidance powers, there's nothing specifically to say you can or can't necessarily, but those are very, very broad, wide-ranging, sweeping, all those great euphemisms, powers that the ATO has, and they can absolutely knock on the door and say, hey, we think you did that for tax avoidance reasons, minimize your tax unfairly, inappropriately, and we'd like that money back, plus some penalties, plus some interest. Thank you very much. Um, look, generally speaking, my, my, my view on tax, and this is a personal view, my view on tax is if you think you might be too close to the line, you probably are. Um, there's a whole lot of things that are, well, there's almost nothing worth going to jail for, maybe a few million bucks. Uh, but generally speaking, you, you, you just don't want to get. Yeah, you know, I. I it's, it's this is a very personal view. I just don't want to take the risk, right? I don't. I don't really feel like having to try and justify to the ATO what's going. on. I don't want to have to pay penalties. I don't want to have action criminal civil taken against me. Um, it's just not worth it, right? Mm. The, the risk people take that the I, none of us want to pay more tax than we have to. But man, like, there's better ways to spend time and, and frankly, money. Uh, than defending a, a lawsuit from the ATO and possibly facing civil or criminal actions. It's just not much fun. Doc, do you have anything to add to that one? No. All right. Fools, all things being equal, and that's a big call. Mm-hmm. I will be back next week with Doc. If my Kokoda trick has done badly, maybe Doc will be here by himself, or you may have another guest speaker. Uh, but we'll assume that everything's gone okay. We'll assume that I am not far from boarding a plane. And if that's the case, Doc and I will be back with you next week. But before we go... Don't forget you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And please give us a rating, throw us some stars, let other people know that you like our podcast. We kind of think it's a bit of fun. We like doing it and we want to share it with more people. That's one key way. If you're enjoying this, you can do us a little bit of a favor and help other people find it as well. Well, that's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week. As I said, good Lord willing and the creeks don't rise with another dose of foolish insight. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.